welcome you to Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. This season, I'll be discussing murders from the year 2000 through 2009. Today's story is of a female murderer from 2007. So grab you some Whataburger and open that Dr. Pepper. Let's go back in time to the year 2007. In 2007, the seventh and final Harry Potter novel, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, was released. That same year, more than 100 million votes were cast worldwide to determine what the new Seven Wonders of the World would be. They were announced on July 7, 2007, or 070707, as the Great Wall of China, Petra, Chichen Itza, the Statue of Christ Redeemer, the Colosseum, Machu Picchu, and the Taj Mahal. Another thing that happened in 2007 were four shots in an affluent neighborhood home in Flower Mound, Texas. Please join me in walking down Erie Lane. The Roberts family was known around their neighborhood and town as a good family. Michael and Andrea Roberts were both 41 and were described as the ideal couple, the ideal mom and dad, who focused their lives around their kids Michaela, 11, and Dylan, 7. Dylan was described as a spitfire. He was full of energy and very sweet, and always wanted to be included in the activities his older sister was doing. Whether it was playing dress-up or riding in a toy car up and down the sidewalk, he was always there to play alongside her. Michaela was described by her best friend as being shy when first meeting her but was also very loving and loyal. She was very sweet and compassionate towards others and always tried to include everybody. Michael Roberts ran his own consulting business that helped companies obtain federal grants. He was described as a caring father who was always playing with his kids, working, or playing golf. Andrea Roberts was a stay-at-home mom described as happy and loving. She was a kind-hearted, friendly person was a member of her kids' school's PTA and also enjoyed scrapbooking and playing bunko with other moms in her neighborhood. On July 30, 2007, the Roberts family were seen together attending a soccer game for Michaela, but they went home soon after as Michael was to fly out the next morning for a meeting in Chicago, but he never made that flight. Marsha Roberts, Michael's mother, had moved nearby to be close to her son and grandchildren. Her phone rang on the morning of July 31st. It was a business associate of her son's. Apparently, Michael missed his flight, and no one had been able to get a hold of him. They asked if she could go over and check on him. At the house, she couldn't get a hold of her son, daughter-in-law, or grandkids. Marsha then went to their neighbor, Tim Warren's house, whom she knew had a spare key. The Warrens and the Roberts had been close for the past seven years of living next to each other. They had no kids, so they treated the Roberts' kids like their own. 
Once inside the house, Warren saw Andrea Roberts' body in the master bedroom. He quickly grabbed Marcia before she could see anything, and they went outside to call 911. When the police got there, this is what they found. All four Roberts family members were dead. All died from a single gunshot to the head while lying in their beds, with the gun in the mother, Andrea Roberts' hand. It seemed as if everyone had gone to bed when Andrea got up, wrote a lengthy suicide note stating she was taking the lives of her family, but gave no helpful information that could determine a motive. Then she shot each of her family members, Michael 41, Michaela 11, and Dylan 7, before laying down in bed and shooting herself in the head. By that evening, family, friends, and neighbors were so confused by this tragedy, people were quoted as saying, We never heard any yelling or screaming. I'm still just totally blown away by what happened, because it didn't make a lot of sense. Neighbor Tim Warren. She's a very good woman, had a sweet personality. From all appearances, everything was normal. They were a busy family, just like everyone else. Neighbor Maureen Lagastern. It's a terrible tragedy. They were doting parents. They seemed to be a happy family. Neighbor Stacy Adams. A vigil was held out front of the family's home. About a hundred people showed up to put flowers, stuffed animals, and signs at their front door. One sign taped to the front door read, Michaela is playing soccer with the angels. We will miss you. John and Glenda McCoy, Andrea's parents, could not believe this news and that their daughter was the shooter was too unbelievable. The police had discovered that some officers responded to a domestic disturbance at the Roberts' house that January, but it turned out to only be an argument, so no arrests or offense reports were made. This case was also seen as unusual, according to Jeffrey McGee, who had studied mothers who killed their children for three decades, said this incident is atypical. He stated, it's extremely rare for a mom to kill their spouse, their children, and themselves. Typically, it is fathers who commit familicide, the act of a family member killing multiple of their family members. Andrea's parents knew she had been acting a little off the week before the murders, and it turned out she had bought Zoloft from a Tom Thumb pharmacy in Flower Mound on July 24th. The McCoys filed a lawsuit against Spicer, Incorporated, on behalf of their daughter and the rest of the Roberts family. The lawsuit complaint stated, The surviving plaintiffs allege that the product Zoloft caused these violent acts. In the alternative, the surviving plaintiffs allege that the product Zoloft was a contributing cause accounting for causing or worsening descendant Andrea Roberts' condition to the point of causing paranoia, psychosis, homicidal thinking, or other symptoms inhibiting her judgment leading to the commission of homicidal and suicidal actions. Pfizer replied to the lawsuit with a notice of removal, 
saying their claim could easily be characterized as a product's liability case. Yet they argue the lawsuit filed has many inconsistencies in the complaint, such as claiming Andrea was involuntarily intoxicated because she did not consent to taking a drug that causes homicide, therefore not guilty of contributory negligence or assumption of risk. Since the label only contains a warning that children and teenagers may have an increased risk of suicidal thinking, but it did not mention adults being at risk of committing suicide or that the drug could cause any homicidal thoughts or actions. This brought them to state Pfizer committed fraud, misrepresentation, intentional infliction of emotional distress, aggravated or gross negligence, battery, assault, and potentially premeditated murder. And while the plaintiffs appear to be asserting a claim for products liability, they also assert claims for negligent manufacturer, design, and marketing, a wrongful death and survival action, and intentional infliction of emotional distress, as well as actual and punitive damages, claiming breach of warranty, fraud, misrepresentation, aggravated or gross negligence, battery, assault, and even murder. In one place, the plaintiffs state they are seeking to recover $900,000 in Andrea's lost earnings and $4 million for Michael's. Then they ask for $23 million for the product's liability claims, $20,000 for funeral and burial costs, $1 million for each of the surviving plaintiffs, and $5 million for each of the descendants to compensate them for their loss of affection, companionship, and pecuniary support. And at other places in the complaint, it states plaintiffs are limiting damages to $50,000. To Pfizer, the McCoy's petition appeared to have been put together using a legal form. The case settled for $225,000 in March 2012 but their lawsuit days were not behind them yet. On October 24, 2013, Thomas Correa was sentenced to 25 years in Texas prison for stealing settlement funds from several of his clients. Correa took money from some clients' lawsuit settlements to pay other clients that he had already owed, but the money ran out and not everyone got paid. The McCoys were one of the clients he stole from. They only saw $5,000 of the money set aside for medical care, and he kept the rest for himself. Eventually, the McCoys accepted a $40,000 award in 2014 from the Texas Compensation to Victims of Crime Fund, the State Bar of Texas Clients Security Fund, which caps awards at that amount. Serial Killer Sweets. The owner is a fellow true crime junkie and named her business after it. These treats are delicious from Rice Krispie treats made with all different types of cereal and also cookies and brownies. This is the perfect dessert to snack on while listening to your true crime podcast. You can find out more on their website or follow them on Instagram at Serial Killer Sweets.
This episode is now going to be a little different than normal. Because it was a murder-suicide, there is no true investigation into the Roberts family. But what I found from researching this case was that the drug Zoloft has become a big point of contention when it comes to murder and suicide. I in no way want to say prescription drugs are bad, as I have to take medication for my anxiety, prescribed to me by a doctor whom I trust and can talk to if something feels off. The doctor I have is clear about helping make my brain balanced and does not just try to give me pills that act as a band-aid. I have had a very successful experience with this medication. But I also had an experience my senior year of high school when getting diagnosed with ADHD. I was prescribed Adderall, and other than finally getting better grades, I hated being on it. I realize now that my prescription was too strong, but I didn't know how to speak up or just thought it was normal to have these type of side effects for this medication. The side effects for me were withdrawn, not eating, intensely focused to the point that relationships fell by the wayside, my heart raced, and I had a difficult time sleeping. I was extremely happy to get off of my Adderall prescription once I was done with school. The reason I'm getting into my personal experience is I truly believe medication can be extremely helpful. I have one that truly helped save my life and one that made me become a completely different person. I will be discussing some cases where their medication was not correct and the dosage was wrong, where the side effects hit them too hard and the worst outcome happened. So my advice, knowing only my own experience, is if you need to take medication, there's no shame in that. But I recommend getting a doctor whom you trust and who you can communicate with to make sure your medication dosage is correct and that they are there to help you get better and to be balanced. Who is responsible in these cases that medications like Zoloft are prevalent? The individual? The drug company? Or the doctor? I found many cases on this subject, but will list just a few for you to come to your own conclusion. Case 1. Christopher Pittman was 12 when he moved in with his grandparents. He had been taking the prescription drug Paxil for mild depression but after moving and changing doctors, he was given samples of Zoloft because the doctor had no samples of Paxil available. He began to experience negative side effects from his new medication, his sister even describing him as manic, and he did complain about these side effects, and at his follow-up visit, the doctor increased his dosage from 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams. November 28, 2001, Two days after his Zoloft dosage had been increased, Christopher had an argument on the school bus, choked a fellow student, disturbed the person playing piano in his church, for which he received a paddle spanking from his grandfather as punishment. And later that night, he went into his grandparents' bedroom and murdered them with their own shotgun. He then set fire to the house and stole his grandparents' car. He crashed the car in a ditch two counties away and told the people who stopped to help that someone had kidnapped him after killing his grandparents and then left him on the side of the road. 
he told that same story to police before confessing that his grandparents deserved what they got. Christopher was tried as an adult, where his defense team argued that the drug altered Christopher's concept of right and wrong, and that he was acting out during a manic episode when he shot his guardians. The prosecution relied on Christopher's actions surrounding the killings. Notably, his attempts to cover up the crimes make Christopher's knowledge of right and wrong the central question. The jury rejected the Zoloft defense and sentenced Christopher to 30 years in prison. Case 2 Lisa Prossel and her daughter, Lee Braun, were the best of friends, described as being inseparable. They died on the same night in 1994, with the coroner concluding they died of exposure and that the deaths were accidental. But the confusing part of their deaths is why. Why did the mother and daughter freeze to death near their car and within a few hundred yards of a neighborhood? Both also had taken Zoloft that night, which neither were prescribed. Lisa Prossel was found by a hiker. Her body was lying face down in the snow at the end of the Kingston Circle cul-de-sac. Her car a 1987 Plymouth Horizon, with her purse still locked in it, was stuck bumper deep in the snow some 40 feet away. The next day, with help of a bloodhound, officials came upon Lee Braun, lying dead beyond a nearby hill. Her small dog, Badger, was still alive, attached to her wrist by a leash. Her footprints show she wandered aimlessly about one-eighth of a mile in a semicircle around the car, bringing Badger and her keys along. She zigzagged back and forth, down a draw, sat or slipped on the snow, continued on, and finally fell where she was found. No other footprints were found to indicate she was chased by anyone from her car. And officials couldn't imagine her stopping to collect her purse and lock the car if she was fleeing someone. The coroner believed the drug could have affected the women's actions or could have interacted with other medications in their system to cause them to act erratically. He stated, Any medication can alter their clear thinking. They probably weren't thinking clearly. Case 3 Bryn Hartman was married to comedian Phil Hartman. When Bryn was given a sample of Zoloft by her son's doctor, on March 26, 1998. Two months later, she shot her husband before killing herself. Although she had been drinking and was on cocaine that evening, the executor of the couple's estate, Bryn's brother Gregory, filed a lawsuit citing Zoloft as what pushed her over the edge. Pfizer settled the case out of court in a private agreement, and the amount of the agreement has not been disclosed as part of its terms and conditions. To me, I think it is the fault of everyone involved. The manufacturing company needs to make all serious side effects known and continue to make their drugs better and safe for the public. The doctors need to be clear with their patients about what to expect and what is normal in transitioning onto medication or off, and making sure that they have someone to watch over them during that time. Also, they need to take better notes 
so there won't be any miscommunication about dosage. The individual is also at fault in most all the cases I read, not just the ones I mentioned. There was always more things going on than just the medication. Their upbringing, abuse, all types of other issues. And I believe medication is only a part of what caused the tragic events to happen. I want to say a huge thank you to Murderpedia, Southeast Texas Record, SSRI Stories, and all the other great resources that helped me get all the information for this episode. I'll put a link to their work in the show notes. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. Please join me next week when we discuss a male murderer from the year 2007. If you are enjoying this podcast, I would love for you to hit the subscribe button I would also love for you to rate and review my podcast on iTunes, as it really helps get the word out about my podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at crimesofadecade at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at crimesofadecadepod and on Twitter at crimesofadecade.com.